morning, everybody. Welcome to Redemption Church. Uh, thanks for joining us on this Easter morning on Resurrection Sunday. I know that there's a lot of places you could be. It's Master's Week. Uh, it's the beginning of spring break. It's April Fool's Day. Maybe you have some sort of weird April Fool's Day celebration with your family. I don't know. But we're, we're thankful that you're here with us, uh, and we're looking forward to celebrating Christ risen together this morning. Before we jump in, let's just take a moment and pray together. Our Father, we we thank you so much this morning for Jesus. We thank you for the good news that you've come for us, that you have such great love for us, that you sent your Son for us, and that he's alive. And he went to death, he was buried, and he has risen from the grave, and he's alive, and he's king. Lord, I pray this morning that you would just help us to see Jesus as our king, to to submit our lives under his lordship, under his kingship, under his empowering presence. Lord, send us out from here just with the gospel on our lips, with the good news of Jesus on our lips and in our deeds and in our actions as we go. That The resurrection wouldn't just be something that we gather to like remember this morning, but it would be something that would come to bear on all of us. Father, I pray that this morning as I speak, I pray that you would say what you would have said, that you would have each ear hear what you would have it hear, and that your Holy Spirit would stir in each one of us so that we would know you more. We love you and we praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. There's an old song that says, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And it really does kind of ring true. But what does it say about what we truly believe? What does it say about who we really are? Like we all know that one day we're going to die, But nobody wants to think about it, and we're kind of scared of death. And if you say that you're not, you're a liar. But anyways, uh, we all know that we're going to die one day, but nobody wants to think about it. We're kind of scared of death. And so this Jesus of the Bible offers us something after death, right? He offers us that we'll we'll have life after this, and he offers us heaven for eternity after death. And I think that, like, that's the message that we hear that sounds pretty good. It definitely sounds better than fire for eternity. And it might even sound like pretty good news, and it is pretty good news. So we consent. Jesus really did die on the cross. He really did rise again. We believe. My sins are forgiven through the cross. And through his resurrection, I'm alive. Right? And I have eternal life through his resurrection. I believe it happened. My sins are forgiven. I have eternal life. My ticket is punched. I believe it happened, and I get to go to heaven when I die. At least there's something on the other side. But I think the good news of Jesus is bigger than that. I think the good news of Jesus Christ is bigger than that. I think his story is bigger than just getting out of here safely and put away somewhere safe when we're I think he speaks to our actual humanness more than that. Think about the stories that we like. Think about the big epic movies that you like. Think about Sir William Wallace in Braveheart or the Gladiator. I don't know his name, in the Gladiator. Uh, Think about about Frodo Baggins. Think about uh, Edmund and Peter and Susan and Lucy and Narnia. Think about the great characters and the epic movies and the epic stories that like pull at our heartstrings and touch on what it feels like 
to be really human, those who march out in the battle willing to die for something that's bigger than themselves. I read this verse a few weeks ago, and it's been sticking with me as Reggie's preached the last few weeks. Uh, it's Romans 14, 7 through 8. And Paul says this. He says, For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. That's a battle cry, Right? That's when the hero is like marching in front of the, the, the army before they rush down the hill to, to conquer the evil dark forces. That's what you tell them. That's a battle cry. And this morning on Resurrection Sunday at Redemption Church, even as we're going to continue in our series in the book of Acts, I want us to consider that maybe the good news of Jesus is bigger than we think. Maybe the good news of Jesus is bigger than what we've heard before. And I just want to invite all of us and invite all of you into a greater story this week. Into a kingdom that's worth living and dying for. Andrew Peterson's new song, he has a new album that just came out uh, yesterday and has been a song out for a couple weeks. Maybe you've heard it, it's Is He Worthy? And it utilizes like a call and response type of format as he declares the good news of Revelation 5. And I'd love for us just to do this together just with the first four questions. So I'm going to ask you four questions and I just want all of you to respond. We do. I want you to think about what I'm asking, but respond. We do. Do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel the shadows deepen? But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? And do you wish that you could see it all made right? And that line hits me in the gut time and time again. Over the last couple of weeks, I've probably listened to that song 200 times. <laughs> and that line hits me in the gut over and again. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? Like, I'm not just talking about all the violence and the drama in the world and all the political stuff and, and all that. I'm talking about, like, the baby that I'm praying for who's a month old and needs a heart transplant. I'm thinking of like even just things like the, the earth and the planet and how we are killing animals with our plastics and our trash, right? Do you feel it? Like, do you wish that you could see it all made new? Could you see it all different, all healed, all rescued? I mean, do any of us really just want a ticket out of here? Do we just want a ticket to get out, or do we just want an escape? Or do you want to see it all made new? Do you want to see it all restored? And I, I bet that it's in all of us. It's in all of, it's in me. I think it's in all of you to want to see it all made new, to see this place restored. Like it may seem overwhelming at times. It almost may seem hopeless. Like it, we can't make that happen. And that may tempt us to want to check out. But I think it's deeply human. It's deeply human to want to see the world restored. N.T. Wright has said this. He says, humans are made not for heaven, but for the new heavens and the new earth. That the goal is not heaven, but a renewed human vocation within God's renewed creation. So this morning, if you feel the world is broken, 
if you wish that you could see it all made new, then there's some really, really good news in this gospel. Because that's what Jesus has done, and that's what Jesus is doing. The cross and the resurrection of Jesus is all about God's work of making all things new. It's about restoring us into our created purposes and restoring all of his creation into right relationship with him and a right relationship with each other. And you and I, we were made to be a part of it. We were made to be a part of this, not to check out and look for an escape, but to be there and to see him put all the pieces put back together again. It's resurrection Sunday. It's Easter. And we're, kid- we're going to continue through the book of Acts, picking up in chapter 8, so if you want to turn there, Acts chapter 8. We've been moving through Acts this year at Redemption Church, and we're in the middle of a series that we just started last week called Church on the Move. Now, if you're wondering, because it might have shown up because it's Easter and it's Resurrection, why not? Why why are we sticking with Acts? Like, why are we sticking out with? What, shouldn't we be going back to the to the Gospels and like just kind of like checking out the story where Jesus, you know, is resurrected from the grave? Well, there's a reason. It's because we know what happened. We know the story. We know what happened. We know what we're celebrating today. Jesus came and he lived and he died and he was buried. And he was resurrected from the grave. Then he walked a little while longer with his disciples. And then he ascended to the right hand of the Father as king and ruler over his kingdom. And he sent his spirit to dwell in us. That's what we're celebrating this morning. We know that. But I think it's easy for us to live disconnected from how that truth applies to us today. Like in the everyday stuff of life. And here in Acts 8, We're just going to see the implications of the resurrection. Here we see an illustration of what the cross and the resurrection of Jesus was about and what it accomplished and what it still accomplishes. So if there's a disconnect here from like what happened 2,000 years ago from today, I think we can see this story in Acts 8 and see how the good news of the person and work of Jesus is good news for us today. It's good news for us today, like in the present, in this body, in this life, and then into eternity. So just let's read this passage, and then we're going to ask a few questions of how the cross and resurrection matter in the story today. Acts chapter 8, verse 1 through 25. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. For there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon, who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him, because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, 
who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the hands, or laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right with God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. I'm going to ask three questions this morning. Number one, how is the kingdom of God advancing in this passage? What part does baptism play? And what is going on with Simon the magician? So we'll start. How is the kingdom of God advancing, and what does the cross and the resurrection have to do with it? I ask this first because, as as we see right away in this passage, uh, the kingdom is advancing. They're scattered, right? The kingdom is advancing as these early believers are scattered from Jerusalem. This is the church on the move. It's moving. And Philip who's one of the deacons appointed at the same time as Stephen, who was just martyred a chapter before this, goes to Samaria preaching the kingdom in the name of Jesus. And people believe it. People believe it, and they're baptized in the name of Jesus. Then, I have to admit this is kind of a funny part. It's kind of weird. (laughs) But then Peter and John come from Jerusalem and baptize these folks in the Holy Spirit. They were already baptized in the name of Jesus, and then Peter and John come, and they baptize them in the Spirit by laying on of hands. I think Wayne Grudem articulates well kind of what's going on here, and will take us into the point. He says, a good understanding of this event would be that God, in his providence, check this out, God, in his providence, sovereignly waited to give the new covenant, empowering of the Holy Spirit to the Samaritans directly through the hands of the apostles, so that it might be evident to the highest leadership in the Jerusalem church that the Samaritans were not second-class citizens but full members of the church. This is important. This was important because of the historical animosity between the Jews and Samaritans, because Jesus had specified that the spread of the gospel to Samaria would be the next major step after it had been preached in Jerusalem and the region of Judea that surrounded See, the kingdom of God is advancing, just as Jesus said it would. He sent his spirit, he's made them witnesses, and sent them to Jerusalem, to Judea, and now to this critical place in Samaria, just as Jesus said in Acts 1.8. And then here in this scene, we see the leaders of the early church, Jewish, who had a history of animosity toward the Samaritans and vice versa, Go and lay hands on people who are different. And they are reconciled with them. And they are put onto the same mission with them. See it? The name of Jesus is uniting people who are not united. 
people who were set against one another. They're being reconciled. They're being restored into one family. And the good news is calling people to live and die for something together as a family, even people who are much different from one another. And what happens after this in the same chapter that we'll talk about next week is that Philip goes and meets an Ethiopian eunuch and baptizes him into the same faith. As I say all that, what I kind of want us to look at as we talk about this is the kingdom is advancing in the early church and uniting people with with a tainted history, and I just wonder if are we mindful what's happening at this very moment among us? Like at this very hour as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, we're celebrating it across the city of Augusta, but we do it largely segregated. What does that say about the good news that we believe? I mean, I guess if Jesus... Like just died and rose again to get us out of here, then we don't really have to care too much about what's going on in this world. But if we understand the greater gospel, the greater story, that it's more than just getting a ticket out, then we'll understand that the kingdom is all about transforming the present world toward a fully transformed, fully restored, fully reconciled future. Why was Jesus resurrected? That's the question we have to ask this morning. Why was he resurrected? To be king. Jesus was resurrected to be our king. And not just a king like sitting in the clouds waiting for us to come home. No, he's Jesus was resurrected to be the king of Jerusalem, to be the king of Samaria, to be the king of Judea, to be the king to the ends of the earth to be our king. Just look at Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 through 10. I think it'll be up here. It says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign Every tribe, every language, every people and nation, and they shall reign on earth. And yet, even today, we're segregated from our brothers and sisters in Christ who have different skin tones than us. Do you want to see it all made new? Do you want to see people reconciled and united and made into one? Here's some really good news. Just as Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, brought these Jews and Samaritans together, he is making us, who were not a people, into a people. He's making us into a royal priesthood, a kingdom of God where all is restored back to how it should be, to how he created it to be. And you and I are made to follow him and to be a part of it. Not just get out, but to live and to die for it. And we are able to do that because he came for us and because the same Holy Spirit that, was, that empowered Christ to be raised from the dead is empowering us to do this even into death. 
The second thing I want us to look at is baptismal identity. Like we know the Great Commission in Matthew. It says to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You may be familiar. And then here in Acts chapter 8, we see that the Samaritans were baptized in the name of Jesus by Philip and then in the Holy Spirit by Peter and John, which isn't normative but was done in, a, in that way, maybe in order to demonstrate how God was advancing his kingdom and uniting people as one body. And then next week, later on in chapter 8, Philip will baptize the Ethiopian. So there's a lot of baptism going on in chapter 8. But why? That's the question I want to talk about. Why? What does baptism even do? I mean, I think it's often presented as like merely a public profession of belief that the cross and resurrection actually happened, and it is that. But, but we're symbolically buried with him in death and we're raised with him in life. And somehow, just going through that uh, just kind of counts us in for the afterlife. And I don't want to sound cynical. I even believe that to be true. But, but again, I just I think there's something bigger here. I think there's something bigger happening in baptism. Because the cross and resurrection of Jesus isn't just something that happened a long time ago that you need to agree with in order to get to heaven. That's not the good news. That's not the, the, the greater gospel. It's not just something that happened a long time ago. You believe it, you get to go to heaven. It's God's rescue plan for the world. Not to get us out of here, but to take it all back, to make it all new, to make it all his again. And he's risen. That's what we're celebrating this morning. Jesus Christ is risen. Jesus Christ is king. And he isn't just sitting around waiting for us. His kingdom is on the move. I mean, even in this passage, Philip didn't just go preaching a message of salvation and start dunking people. That's not what we see happen. Philip went preaching the kingdom and the name of Jesus, the king. And they were baptized in the name of Jesus. See, they weren't becoming citizens. They were, they were becoming citizens. They were becoming servants of a new king, and they were taking on a new identity. I remember when I married Claire... Uh, I mean, it was just more than just taking on a new role as a husband, right? Like, at that moment, I stopped being Ben, and I became Ben and Claire, or Claire and Ben, probably Claire and Ben. And I remember the day I became a father. Everything changed. I knew as I held Grace Noel that I was changing even in that moment. I was no longer who I used to be. I was a dad also. It was Ben and Claire and Grace Noel. It was our family. And suddenly, I took on a new work. And Claire took on a new work. We took on a new work. I knew that I didn't want to pass down just generational sin. I wanted to be a part of generational healing. So all I had was her. I shouldn't have talked to you, Claire. Now I'm sorry. But everywhere I had successes and failures in life, even prior to that and even after, I knew in that moment I didn't want to be a part of generational sin. I want to be a part of generational healing. So all I had was hers. All my successes and failures were now meant for her good. See, baptism, it's not just a public profession. It is that, but it's much more about establishing people in a new identity. It's about taking on a new name, becoming part of a new family, 
realizing the purpose and becoming part of the work of restoration. It's about becoming a new creation. Not just later. Not just after we die, but here and now. Because that's what the kingdom is about. It's about making all things new. Jeff Vanderstelt says that Jesus told us to baptize to signify our new identity because Jesus knew that we would live differently if we realized who we are because of God's work in us. So we're baptized in the name of the Father because in love and through the cross and resurrection of Jesus, we can be part of the family of God and we're called to love others. We're baptized in the name of the Son because we are servants of the King, sent to serve the least of these as he served us. And we are baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit because we, just as Jesus, are God's, has God's Spirit empowering us towards mission. We are sent to proclaim the gospel of Jesus in this world. So in Acts chapter 8, I think this is why Simon the magician is answered so harshly by Peter. Because Simon's true desire is so ironic and it's like so revealing in the face of of the true purposes of baptism. Where we're empowered to go and like make disciples when we take on this new identity, we're empowered to go and to make Jesus known. Simon wanted to have power. He wanted to do cool things. He wanted to do the great stuff. He wanted the greatness for himself. And I, I get it. I mean, don't you? Especially for Simon because the text says, I mean, like before Philip came to town, he was the big deal, Simon the magician. But that just reveals how he was still enslaved to the old self. And baptism is about being made entirely new and for something else. But this is about a new identity, right? It's about restored and it's about a restored and new identity rooted in the person and work of Jesus. And we are risen to new life, new work, making much of God in all of creation. So I'm going to ask you again. Do you want to see it all made new? There's good news this morning. The king is alive. Jesus is alive. And he is making a people who were not a people. He's making us into a royal priesthood, a kingdom of God where all is restored to how it should be and how he created it to be. And you and I, all of us, are made to follow him and to be a part of it. We're made for the new creation, the new heaven, the new earth, not just to get out of here, but to live and die for it. And we're able to do that because he came for us. Because the same spirit that empowered Christ to rise again from the grave empowers us to new life. So would you follow him? Would you be made new? You can come and be baptized. You'll live differently as you realize who you are because of God's work. Lastly, I just want us to see that we're all Simon the Magician. We are all Simon the Magician. You know, growing up, I always thought that Simon was pretty a pretty bad dude. Uh, I think it's probably because, you know, I was taught how bad magic was. Especially those little cards, card games. Mm. So I thought Simon was just like this one bad devil-worshipping dude who wanted to steal the magic of the church. 
I think that's kind of what was going in my head. I know it's kind of weird, but that's what I, you know, that's what I kind of got. But I've reread the story with fresh eyes, and I don't know what kind of magic he did. I don't know what kind of magic he was into, but I see that I'm really no different than him. In, in Acts 8, 10 through 11, it says that the people all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. Then, of course, he later wants to buy the ability to baptize in the Spirit. Why? Why would he want that? Because he loved being the one who was doing great things. He loved being great. And Peter rightly recognizes that Simon was in the gall of bitterness, in the bond of iniquity. In other words, he recognizes that he was enslaved to the idol of being the great. Me too. Me too. I used to lead this like college and career ministry at another church a long time ago, and I loved it. Like we were all the same age, but somehow I was the leader. I loved being the leader. I mean, I didn't tell anybody I loved it, but I loved being the leader. And I remember taking the group on this ski trip to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Uh, we drove one of those 15-passenger church vans, and I had a trailer on the back of it. Kind of thought I was a big shot driving the big church van, you know. I loved it, man. The roads were icy as we went, but I knew what I was doing. I did not know. But, you know, I put that off, right? The roads were icy. I knew what I was doing until I didn't. Right? And I remember we were coming back from town with a van full of people, and I was cutting the fool in the driver's seat. I think I was singing the Moulin Rouge soundtrack. Uh, it's one of my favorites. Uh, anyways, and we started slipping, and then we started sliding, and then I lost control, and, and, and all I really remember is stopping like inches from the end of a guardrail, which would have sent us into a creek. Just going to T-bone it and go right into the creek. I felt so stupid. Like, I felt so inadequate. I was internally questioning what in the world I was even doing in this position, and I just wanted to hide. But instead, I played it off like I was a good driver. Like I had saved us all. Like, like, woo, good thing I knew how to navigate that. What in the world is wrong with me? What in the world is wrong with us? Where we do things like, I love being the one with the best idea. I love being the one who does the great thing or who gets the recognition. And for me, if I could just be a little transparent with you, I'd say I want to do the great things because I think it eases my, I think it will ease my own insecurities and my own feelings of inadequacy. See, I'm no different than Simon. And neither are you. We all have idols that fight to enslave us. Maybe for you it's control. Maybe it's success. It could be security, approval, recognition. Maybe it's your reputation a number of things. And it's interesting that Simon at this point, when Peter calls him out to repent, he's already been baptized. He's already a believer, the text says. I know that many of you are Christians and many of you are followers of Christ, baptized into the name of Jesus, but you're not different than Simon and I'm not different than Simon. We're still tempted by the same old idols. But there's good news for us. 
for those who know Jesus and for those who don't. There's something good for you to hear. Peter doesn't just curse the man. No, there's an invitation for Simon to repent. That just means to stop chasing this idol and turn and follow Jesus, right? There's an invitation to repent. And that same invitation is there for us. See, Jesus died and rose again to forgive sin and to free us from the bonds of iniquity, to free us from the idols that have us and had us and have had power over us and will lead us nowhere but the grave. Jesus died and rose again to free us from that. The invitation is to repent, to simply turn and follow Jesus as King and Lord and to find freedom. What happens after this passage, Peter and John go back, they preach in other towns along the way. Uh, Philip will go to the Ethiopian, and then he'll go all the way to Caesarea. Paul and others start going further and further to more and more people with the message of verse 22. Repent. Turn and follow Jesus. For you are in the bonds of iniquity. And Jesus has come. And Jesus has died, and Jesus rose again to set you free and to restore you to the life and the work that you were created for, in the here and now and into eternity. So this morning on Resurrection Sunday, maybe the good news of Jesus is bigger than you thought. Maybe the good news of Jesus is bigger than any of us have got. Maybe it's bigger than what we've heard before. It's not just about being safe after death about freedom now. It's about a new purpose even now. And this morning I just want to invite you into a greater story. Into a kingdom that's worth living and dying for. A kingdom that's able to make all things new. A kingdom where there's plentiful redemption. And where all our past failures and all our future failures and all our past successes and all our future successes will be used by our king toward the restoration and the reconciliation and the recreating of all things. So repent. Turn and follow Jesus. Let him crush your idols and forgive your sin. Whatever you're after, like whatever power, whatever idol it is, whatever it's control, recognition, reputation, approval, money, whatever it is, whatever the idol is, hear me, it's dead. It doesn't have life. It can't do anything for you. It's not going to give you anything. It's leading you nowhere but the grave. That's where you're going to go. It'll never give you life. But Jesus is alive. Jesus is king, and he is making us a people who were not a people. He's making us a royal priesthood, a kingdom of God, where all is restored to how it should be, back to how he created it. And you and I were made to follow him. And to be a part of it. Not just to get out of here, but to live and die for it. And we're able to do that because we came to him. Because the same spirit of God that empowered Christ to be raised from the dead empowers us to move life from now and into eternity. We're going to enter into a time of response like we do each week. And the musicians will come, the band will come, and they'll lead us in worship. And it's a time for us to reflect on this a time to pray, a time to stand and worship our risen king, a time to repent and follow him.
So I'd invite you to prayer, I'd invite you into that. We even have some tables in the back where you can put prayer requests in. We'd be happy to pray for you. There'll be somebody there to pray with you. In the back, back here, we have a place where you can give. Uh, that's where you do your tithes and offerings as we worship through trusting God with our money as he's called us to do. And we're going to take communion together, which we do every week at dinner. It's a time where we remember Christ and we pro- proclaim Christ together. Right? So we'll come down these two side aisles here. There'll be servers on each side. You'll break off the bread and you'll dip it in the wine or the juice. And in doing so, we remember the body and the blood of Jesus that was broken on the cross. We remember that he died that he rose again, that he's king, and that he brings life to us for now, that he's made us a new creation, and that we are one family. We remember that who he is. We remember that he is who he said he is, and that he's made us a people for his own possession and for his own purposes. And it is good news for us, because that's what we were created for. So if you're a Christian, whether you're a member of Redemption Church or not, we invite you to come and take it. If you're not a Christian, we want you to hear what we are proclaiming through this elements, that Jesus Christ is alive, and he's king, and he's taking it all back. And that's what we're inviting you into. Not just to believe that something happened 2,000 years ago. I want you to believe that, because that's where the story acts. But this thing goes on into eternity, and it's not just to get to heaven in the clouds. You're invited into the work of recreation, into the work of restoration. You're invited to be a member. Our Father, we thank you for who you are. You are so great. You are so great. You are so full of love. You are so wondrous and mysterious and powerful. And you're good. You're so good. And the story that's your writing and the story that you are playing out is really, really good tells us just how good you are. And it's above us, and we don't always get it, Lord, but you sent your only son for us. Jesus is the proof of your goodness. Jesus is the proof of your power and your love. Father, would you just break our hearts this morning? Would you open our hearts to know that we're enslaved to to idols that would crush us, but that Jesus is our king, and he's risen, and he's alive? wants to restore us back into what we were made for, give us life. Lord, as we go from this place today, we pray that we would go with new, some new perspective. Lord, we're not just trying to get out of here, like break free, but we want to be part of the work of redemption. Pray that you would use Redemption Church. We love you and we praise you.